unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Saints Unscripted. We have a very special guest, David Osler, and me. And and uh, what? And Spencer. Yeah. And Spencer. He's yeah, been on yeah. the show before, but yeah. now you're a, you're a guest host right now. Yeah, I am. Um, by I the way, mean. it's not that I missed the memo for button ups. Um, I did not know they were wearing button ups. David and I had talked to each other beforehand, and we planned it out just to kind of humiliate Quake. They wanted me to look like the odd man out, um, <laughs> which is exact opposite of what your book teaches. So. <laughs> Today we're going to be getting into uh, issues relating to faith troubles, faith crises, and we have we have David who's written this amazing book called Bridges, published through Greg Coford Books this year in 2019, and it's going to be amazing. Before we dive right into it, um, if we were to put you, Adam S. Miller, and Patrick Mason in a room with a bunch of boxing gloves, uh, who do you think would win? <laughs> Uh, we'd probably just uh, start talking to each other and kind of fall asleep. I mean, yeah. I'm putting my money on Dave. Okay. I'm putting my money on Dave. <laughs> All three of us are pacifists. It just won't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so first, um, why did you write this book? Well, I wrote the book. Um, it kind of came out of a, somewhat of a church assignment. Um, in our stake, my wife and I had been called to serve as church service missionaries, reaching out to people who don't come to church. And um, we decided we'd ask them why they don't come to church because um, we all have preconceptions on why someone would stop coming to church, but we decided to ask them. So we sent out about 800 letters in our stake um, with my wife and I's phone number, email, um, some sort of survey link, and started asking them. And um, as we did that, we found that some of the reasons that we hear, you know, maybe trivialized in Sunday school is why people don't come weren't the experience of the people we were asking. Mm-hmm. So we kind of formulated um, some tools for our stake to, to understand that better, and ultimately it became a book because that misunderstanding of why people might disaffiliate or have struggles with belief, um, if we don't understand those issues well, we can't reach out and we can't minister to them. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of wisdom in that because right now in, in the United States, churches are are struggling to keep members in um, because the world is changing. And a lot of problems people have with religion, especially Orthodox religion, is that it, it, it seems to go to a different tidal wave than what, um, than what our culture is going toward. And and not and and in, in many ways. So, you know, I, I'm a Netflix addict, right? <laughs> and I watch so much Netflix and that almost becomes just like a, a weekly ritual, a, re- a weekly habit, and I should study scripture sometimes. Or there's like deep problems that people can have, things with with um, uh, just general lack of belief in God. Um, sometimes you know pe- people have depression, mental illnesses that help that stop them from feeling the spirit and things like that. So it's a bold it's a bold thing to take on. I mean, it, it's a pretty bold thing, but it's necessary. Yeah, to figure out like every every possible reason why someone might might, might leave a faith or leave the or leave our particular faith is you know it's got to be a daunting task. And it's got to be something that might you know be. I mean, at least for me, I think it'd be very hard. Yeah, I mean, I was a church leader. I've been a bishop and a stake president and a mission president, and um, but I'm not in your generation. 
And uh, the, the reasons why people disaffiliated from my time um, or even at my age are very different than they are now. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, there's less trust in authority and in institutions. Right. Uh, I think coming out of things like the Great Recession or 9-11 or, um, you know, the educational debt crisis that so many people feel, um, you know, those are just different issues than, than what I faced. And so I, I really wanted to deep dive in and understand what are the issues. And you mentioned, um, you know, a broad level of religious disaffiliation that's affecting, you know, the U.S. and maybe some other developed countries. And, um, you know, many people leave religion entirely but retain spirituality right. because the institution for them becomes difficult or they just are more individual and want to experience it on their own terms. Right. And we experience that in the church no differently than than other, um, you know, religious institutions, both Christian and otherwise in the United States. I can kind of echo that in the sense that I believe I do believe that people do, even if they kind of disaffiliate from a church, I think that a lot of people still have kind of that religious impulse. We still all want to believe in God. We still all want to believe in a higher power. Now, many of us don't, but I just believe that 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 desire to seek God and to have kind of a connection with the higher being still remains very part of, of the kind of collective human experience for sure. One of the other reasons why I wanted to write the book is that many people my age now have adult children and some of those adult children, um, in spite of going to seminary and going on missions and marrying in the temple, um, you know, have left the faith. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, parents don't know what to do when there's a lot of pain. And we have a theology that talks about e e eternal families. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when we have a child that that has gone a different direction, you know, we clearly want them to be with us in eternity. Sometimes we um, don't understand how to act in a way um, that builds relationship. And so um, I, I wanted to be able to provide some tools for uh, kind of people in my generation, whether they're leaders or parents or brothers or sisters, to be able to understand these kinds of issues too. Okay. So how has the book helped people? You know, it's been interesting. I, I, I did a couple things with the book. I, I did some uh, survey work. Uh, I surveyed um, leaders. Uh, I had 520 uh, stake and ward leaders respond to a survey um, uh, questionnaire that I did. I asked about 80 questions. And then I had about 320 people in a faith crisis respond to kind of similar issues. And then I interviewed um, about 50 people in a faith crisis. And and it's been interesting, um, both leaders and parents and people in a faith crisis have all sent me notes and responded uh, to the book in various ways. I, I had a mother, for example, send me a note and she said, um, I wish I would have known this about five years ago. I've ruined my relationship with my daughter um, and described to some, in some detail how um, her immediate reaction of defensiveness and testifying and you know, saying, uh, trying to refute every one of her points uh, of her daughters leaving the church as opposed to loving them and, and, and trying to find common ground had kind of poisoned her relationship. Mm. And so, you know, you say, well, you can just ask her forgiveness and say you didn't know better and talk to me and tell me, you know, what you're feeling and how you're feeling it. Uh, I've had notes from, from leaders uh, I know there's a stake that's that all their leaders are reading the book now because they feel so um, it's so important to be able to address the concerns of people 
that are struggling to feel like they belong at church or that that they can trust their church leaders or that they um, are getting answers to the most spiritually important questions in their lives. Mm. And then I've had people that um, struggle with faith. And some of them have reached out to me and and, and felt like, um, you know, the, that I heard their stories and that, um, that uh, for the first time people um, – uh, were listening to what they really were feeling. So from all three audiences, I've had really positive responses. So kind of as a follow-up to that, what you were mentioning, um, you, you know, you mentioned that there's a number of different issues why why someone might leave the church and that some people might not understand those issues. Um, but like, how would you go about, I guess, because uh, I, feel, I feel that there are issues for which people can have very, very valid concerns about. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes it's it's good to correct misinformation where it might have been shared or where mis, a misconception where it might have been shared. So how do we kind of balance that relationship between maybe trying to correct a misconception or just or just listening and empathizing with someone? What's what's maybe your perspective on that? I think that's a great question. And it's one that we all struggle with. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the research shows that if a person is not doesn't have a strong relationship with someone else and we start giving them advice, it actually drives them further away mm. from um, hearing that advice in any sort of way. So, um, you know, the, I, I think a key is building a strong relationship and letting them know that no matter what they say, that you'll be their friend or their family or that you'll love them um, and that you're going to accept that the concern is valid to them. And, and over time... Um, and I don't think it happens immediately because many of these people are, are um, you know, their their faith crisis is 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 very important to them and is very emotional. Um, uh, it takes time to build that kind of relationship. I know it has with with close family members where I have tried to build that relationship, mm -hmm. but over time we can develop that relationship where we can have these conversations without them feeling like we're going to testify to them. We're going to tell them um, that they're, uh, you know, under the influence of Satan, where we're going to call them anti-Mormon, where we're going to label them, you know, the fallen elect. And, mm -hmm. you know, so many of the words that we could use. I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. Create division that means that we have no relationship for having that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. oh, that's important. So, you, so your suggestion is more to kind of like develop the relationship with with the loved one first, and you know listen to their struggles, understand their struggles, try to get understand them as best as possible. Yeah. And then once you've kind of developed trust with them, then you can share maybe some of their, your concern, your particular concerns with them about about what they've shared. So many people that are in a faith crisis feel completely misunderstood. Yeah. Um, they, they feel like um, we, we judge them and we say that they're lazy or um, that uh, they've been offended in some way or, you know, they, they want to sin in some ways. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them, or at least in the 320 that I asked that responded to my surveys, those were minor issues. They had bigger issues, and you know what the issues are. You know, mm -hmm. there are issues of church history or authority or church's position on, on sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, so these are issues that for, are important to them. And um, when they express it and people 
kind of judge them as, well, there must be some secret sin in your life that's caused you to lose the spirit of after you served a mission and married in the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we trivialize that and don't give them um, a, a way to express their feelings honestly, we'll never really have dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we hear it sometimes. We, we sometimes blame people that are in a faith crisis for for something they did or didn't do or didn't do ardently enough or, you know, if you just read your scriptures more and more and more. But, you know, as I interviewed these people and as they responded, many of them were doing all those things. Um, And I don't want to pretend why I know a faith crisis happens for some person and not for another, why someone learns a particular part of church history and it bothers them but not another. I just accept that it does bother them. Um, and that it's a legitimate issue for them, and it becomes something that's so important to them that they have to evaluate kind of their whole set of relationships and beliefs that, you know, really is very catastrophic for someone to have to go through and kind of rebuild their identity. Mm. So uh, something I've noticed in in the conversation between um, former members and active members is there are three words every time they come up, bad news. It's, I don't understand. Um, I hear it with people who will say, I don't understand how you could stay in the church in such and such. And someone could say, I don't understand how you could leave the church after doing all this. And then without that lack of understanding, they sort of grab their, their banner and their pitchfork and they go into battle. Yeah. But if you don't understand... Your reaction shouldn't be, how could you do this or why would you be part of this because I don't understand. It should be, so how can I understand where you're coming from? And I don't necessarily think that's that's a problem unique to Latter-day Saints. I think we're just a stubborn culture in general, um, yeah. just as people um, in this in this fine nation. And we're, we're stubborn and we don't really like to hear... Um, not necessarily the other side, but sides that we don't align with. And that's politically and that's socially... And that sort of thinking does get into the church. And so it's nice that there is, like, you've written this book that's kind of trying to say, hey, maybe we can rise above that sort of that, that the tribalism, that triviality. You know, there's one part of the book that I'm just kind of embarrassed that I wrote. Um, <laughs> and, and it took a big part, but it's really a significant part. It's how do you listen? No, no, listen, 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 Linda. And that seems so stupid to, to have to have a section in the book on that. Just addressing how to listen. To how to listen. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I had to kind of be reflective of, you know, when I was a bishop and someone was sitting across the desk and we were talking about hard things, you know, was I really listening to them? Or was I trying to kind of formulate my response? Was I trying to figure out how to bear my testimony in such a way that that person's concern would go away? Or did I really kind of in my heart have a prayer to say, I really want to know what's inside that person's heart. How do I ask the questions? How do I take off the blinds? You know, I, I don't live their experience, right? I'm I'm a white man, you know, middle class, you know, grew up in the church. You know, the person sitting across me is different than me. Their life experience is different than me. And if I don't intensely listen and try and understand who they are, how, how can I help them? Right. And so... Uh, it seems so stupid to have to have a chapter. It's almost a, it's a half a chapter in the book mm. about how to listen. 
Um, but it was really important to write. And as I've gotten feedback, that's been something that has really been important for people to, to feel. And, and pretty much everyone who reads that realizes that there's things that we can learn there. And I kind of take it back to, to Christ a little bit. You remember when this, this woman with an issue of blood touch, touches the hem of Christ's uh, garment and, um, you know, she's healed and, and Christ says something like, I feel virtue come out of me. I'm not sure I really understand what that means. Mm. But he turns and engages with the woman and starts talking with her and allows her to have voice. And in that moment, she is both healed physically and also she's heard and connected. And so I think there's moments like that where we really need to immerse ourselves into that other person and understand their experience. And primarily, we do that through listening. And you're right, we don't do it in politics well, we don't do it in society, we don't do it at the dinner table, you know. Yeah. And so it, why wouldn't it translate into the way in which we relate to people at church or around religion or spirituality? Yeah, I think that these issues are among the most sensitive to deal with because you want to listen, you want to empathize, you want to sympathize, but then you always kind of have a little bit of an impulse to respond. And sometimes you have to take just that just that extra little bit more time yeah. to listen before, before and... you understand. Right, there's just that yeah. little bit more time before you fully understand. And then you have to balance that with, well, I disagree with your, I disagree with your concern in, in, this, in this way. And so, I mean, because I think that people can have valid disagreements on that. I think that this, this is, these are definitely issues in which we should have some disagreement. But I do agree that I think that there is something that we can do as far as like just making a little bit more effort to understand the issue itself and then what else is behind that issue. I, I've even found that you know? sometimes I'm talking to someone who's left. It's not necessary for me to bring up that I disagree with them. Yeah. I mean, they know me. So they know I do, right, <laughs> right? right? But I find sometimes I just listen, hear them out, and I, I kind of leave it at that. Um, uh, oftentimes they'll know that you, you disagree. They'll know where you're at, um, but they just want the, to know that someone's going to hear them out and treat them like they're intelligent. Right. And so, um, right, but I'm just saying that, like, can you balance that with data that maybe you felt has been helpful to you in reconciling the same concern or with... Or, some, mm. or something of that nature? What's your... Once you have a relationship, you can kind of have those conversations where um, someone who has a faith crisis, they're all nervous about what does that mean for them? Do they lose their job at BYU? Do they, are, are they able to go to the temple to, to see their daughter married? You know, um, will, they, um, will their friends allow their children to come over and play at their house? Um, will they be labeled as apostate or... Yeah. or whatever, um, right. you know, so there's this, this huge fear. And um, uh, I have data on that in the book that kind of shows the how difficult it is for them to disclose what they're really believing because of sometimes our culture of judgment yeah. and refuting and, right. Right. and um, you know, the true social costs that can happen to people on this. But there's also kind of real um, traumatic emotional issues that come where you feel I've, I've invested in a, in a mission, I've testified of this, now I know, don't know whether it's right or I don't right. think it is right. right. You know, did I lie for two years? Was it wasted? You know, what have I done with my life? Do I have... What have I done? So there's a lot of issues that get there. And, and I think that 
it takes more time than we would expect to be able to go through um, the relationship building that can occur and should occur where we can have a relationship that then allows us to say, here's some approaches you know, where I, I suppose where they ask us yeah. maybe is where the relationship really should get, where they ask us because they want to know how and they you, think we have something to contribute. Right. Yeah. If, if they don't think we have anything to contribute, we're just kind of really kind of just poking them. Yeah, right. It seems. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So um, this is the book called Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. It's a wonderful book. It comes without tabs. And you should go get it. We'll have a link below. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for for giving us your wisdom. <laughs> also, you this is kind Richard Osler's brother. He's been on the show before. We've had two Oslers on the show. I'm proud to be Richard's. Both are the brother. most amazing, You're kind, both very, loving men ever. Just like just, shockingly kind. Yeah, like <laughs> shock like both you and your brother, like it's 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 almost like the CIA, like Russian. It's have, almost like, too kind. Yeah. What's so the, if both of us were in a cage, what would happen? Do you think? Ooh, like I, oh, I, if you're talking about a, like a fight think, between you and I think you guys Ooh. will look through the bars at everyone in the audience and be like, <laughs> so like, please take us out of here. Like, why? Why are does we this make you this? feel good? Yeah. Shouldn't I have a book you should read? I think we <laughs> probably hug, hug each other first and then do that. <laughs> Make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave your comments in the, in the comment forum below. Yes, like, comment, share, subscribe, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.